Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. To everything, there is a season. A time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which has been planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones. A time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I was going to preach a different sermon this morning. Even as recently as when I first got up, I sent out my sermon notes to our whole congregation so they could follow along. And then after I sent that email out, my thoughts went into a different direction. You see, if you're not a member of our church, not familiar with our church family, you don't realize that this week at our church, we lost a towering giant. Merrill Jenkins was a lifelong member here at our church. He was... uh, One of the best deacons I've ever seen. He was a servant leader. He was one of our three trustees for uh, decades. He was an E.F. Hutton. A lot of people looked to him to see what Merrill was going to do, say what Merrill thought. He was a family man. He was serious, and yet he was hilarious. And so during this time, this weird time, you know, we're going to have his graveside memorial service this afternoon at three o'clock. Many of you, perhaps most of you, I don't know, who are watching now either won't be able to be there or you may not know or have known Merrill and, and Carolyn and their family. I want to tell you about him. I met Merrill on Sunday, July the 30th, 2000. I know that because that was uh, the first of a five-Sunday trial period that I had with Palmetto Baptist Church before the church elected me to be their pastor in uh, late August of 2000. I don't remember the conversation that I had with Merrill, but I do remember uh, those Sundays. And I remember that Sunday because as I got up to preach, uh, I looked up in the balcony of our old church and Merrill and his family were seated on the front pew of the balcony and he was looking down. And as usual, Merrill was smiling because he was almost always smiling. 
And for months of Sundays after that, Merrill and his family would be up on that front pew in the balcony. And he would be looking down. Now, what I didn't know at that time, in fact, I didn't realize this until years later. And this really explains one of the reasons why he, is, he was smiling the whole time. What I didn't realize was that when he was up there in that balcony, and even after we moved to this new building, when he would be seated about two-thirds of the way back in one of our seats, Merrill was offering color commentary on every sermon that I preached. I mean, he was the color commentator who sat beside the regular commentators, and and he was always offering commentary that, that left people right around him laughing. After the church called me to be the pastor here in the year 2000, there was a group of guys, group of men, who drove up to Cumming, Georgia, where Amanda and I lived, and, and, uh, and they, I had rented a U-Haul truck, and they came up and they moved us from Cumming, Georgia, down to Palmetto. Jerry Watson was in that group, David Grubbs, Ronald Stover, Bill Blunt, um, there were several guys, a, a van load of guys, uh, and, and one of the guys who came up there was Merrill Jenkins. He helped me move. Not long after I had been at Palmetto, I came in September of 2000. In 2001, we faced a dilemma. And the dilemma was that we were running out of space for worship. We had plenty of space for education, but we didn't have enough space for worship. And so we had, we had gone from one service to two services, and uh, we were also landlocked. All the property around us, we had a little more than two acres in our property, and all the, all the property around us was either not for sale, or if it was for sale, it, it, was, it was for an uh, excessive price. And so we really didn't have any adjacent uh, room to relocate. And and I was trying to think and pray, and the leaders of the church were trying to think and pray about what we should do. And I remember one weekday morning, Merrill, as he would occasionally do, he came by my office. It was unexpected. He would just come by just to see how things were going, see how I was doing, see how my family was doing, see how we were making it uh, in our new home. And I remember in that conversation, we got to a point where I decided to share something with Merrill that was on my mind. And I really didn't know how Merrill would take it. Uh, he had been a longtime member of the church. He was one of the leaders that people looked up to. And I thought, well, I'm going to share this with him. It may not go over too well, but I'm going to share it with him. And here's what I shared with him. I said, Merrill, you know, we're landlocked and we need some space and we need room. I said, have you ever... Have you ever thought about the possibility of our church relocating? I mean, it was, a, it was a major stretch. I was nervous even just asking him the question. And without hesitation, Merrill Jenkins said, Oh, I think that's what we should have done all along, Jimmy. And that answer from Merrill Jenkins lit a fire in my bones that still burns to this day. It was the beginning for me of a, a move to try to lead, persuade, 
our church to move. And it took us a while, but it would have never happened had it not been for Merrill's words to me on that day in 2001. Not only did he help us spearhead the movement to lead the church to vote to relocate, but he helped us Uh, he was one of the most generous, gracious people I've ever known. And he was one of the, the largest contributors in, in, in finances and time and prayer to, to getting us to the relocation. He even came to me when we started our first capital campaign in 2005, he came to me with a list of names of people that he said, now, Jimmy, he said, I know these people right here on this list. There were 11 names. He said, I know these people. And he said, uh, these people have, or like me, they have the wherewithal to really kickstart this capital campaign and move us toward relocating. He said, he said, I'm telling you, they have the wherewithal to do it. Now, as it turned out, not all of them were willing to share their wherewithal to get us relocated, but Merrill knew them. He knew them because he had been, uh, for, for uh, decades, he had been the co-owner of Bradley's Big Buy, which is now Piggly Wiggly's Bradley's Big Buy in Palmetto. It was the one grocery store in Palmetto, and Merrill co-owned it. Merrill, everybody in the whole area knew Merrill Jenkins. I mean, he's in the who's who of Palmetto, South Fulton, North Coweta. He, he provided jobs, first jobs, for there's no telling how many hundreds of young people in that grocery store. And so Merrill knew people. He knew what they, what they could potentially give toward that campaign. I remember him telling me one day he was working at... Uh, Bradley's big buy and, and he, he spent long hours there uh, working at the, the store he co-owned. And there was, as there, there are in so many grocery stores, there were certain people who would write bad checks. And he says there was a lady who had come in and she had written a bad check. And he said she'd gotten away with it sometime before and she came back. He saw her and she got groceries and she wrote another check that was bad at the counter. And when Merrill realized she had done that, he followed her out. She noticed he was following her. She runs to her car. Merrill goes out and the woman is trying to crank her car. Her window is down. Merrill reaches into the car to, to grab her keys to turn the ignition off and pull the keys out. And the woman bites him on the arm. I mean, bites a hunk out of his arm. And of course, it doesn't look very good. They had to call the paramedics and they end up, he ends up having to go uh, to some healthcare workers and, and he needs a tetanus shot. And it just so happened that the healthcare worker that they, that they brought him to was another member of our church whose name was Stephanie Bentley. Her name's Stephanie Anderson. Now we call her geezer. And Merrill went in and they checked up on him and Stephanie was in there and they concluded that uh, he needed a tetanus shot because he hadn't had one in a lot of years. And so uh, Stephanie said, I'm going to give you a tetanus shot. And he says, all right. And she said, Merle, this is a tetanus shot. I, it, it's one that does not need to go in your arm. It needs to be in your bottom. And Merrill looked at her and he said, Stephanie Bentley, I have known you since you were born. I'm not going to drop my drawers in front of you. Get somebody else in here to give me this tetanus shot. Merle was hilarious. And everybody, everybody 
loved Merle. Sometime in about 2006, 2007, Merle started noticing. He was very observant, and Merrill started noticing that uh, I, I pretty much wore, not always, but, but um, more often than I'd like to admit, I'd, all, I'd wear pretty much the same suit on Sunday morning. I didn't think people would notice that much, but Merrill noticed it. And so he called me one day during the week, and he says, I, he says are you busy today? I said, well, not too bad. He said, well, I'm going to come by. I want to take you somewhere. I said, okay. And so he came by the old church office and he picked me up and he, he drove me down to the square in Noonan and there was a store there. It was a men's store called Brothers Limited. It happened to be the place where Merle bought all of his dress clothes. And so he parked on the square in front of Brothers Limited and he got out and says, these people are friends of mine. Let's go in here. And I said, okay. So we went in there and as we walked in, you could tell, I could tell that the the guys who owned the store, they knew Merrill on a first name basis. We walked in and the guy says, oh, hey, Merrill, how you been? Haven't seen you in, in a while. Good to see you. And they talked, you know, small talk back and forth a little bit. And finally, Merrill says, uh, pointing at me with his thumb, he says, this here is, is uh, my preacher over at Palmetto Baptist Church. And says, he doesn't have any clothes worth anything. And I want to buy him a suit. They said, all right. And so we went looking through. They, 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 they measured me up. And, and I had no idea that that's what Merrill was going to do until we got there. And so we went looking through different, different suits. And, and Merrill, Merrill would pick out one and says, what do you think about that? Do you like that? And I said, yeah, that's great. He says, try it on. So he'd have me try it on. So I picked out a, a navy blue suit. Then he says, well, we need a shirt. We got to get a shirt that'll go with that suit. So he found a shirt and he says, what do you think about this? And I said, that looks great. He said, well, try it on. We tried it on. He says, and you need a tie. And so we found a tie. It was a pink tie. In fact, it was this tie that I'm wearing right now. It's got Brothers Limited on the under label of the tie. This is the tie that Merle bought me that day. And he told him after he'd picked out the suit, the tie and the shirt, he says, now, uh, he, a uh, uh, preacher can buy his own shirt and, uh, shoes and socks and underwear. I'm not going to buy that. I just want to buy this suit and shirt and tie for him. And he did. I, I would have worn the, the suit and the shirt this morning, except for, um, my my body sh- well let's just let's just say i'm more muscular than i was back in 2006 and so the shirt and the suit don't fit quite as well but but i must be pretty close to the same size because the tie still fits merle jenkins bought me a suit i remember several great senior citizens who were in our church early on there was Clyde and Etta taylor uh, there was uh, Frank and Vera Smith, there was Homer and Martha Youngblood, there was Charlie and uh, Pace, who's no longer with us, his widow uh, Hilda is here, Billy and J.T. Joyner, and, um, but I remember there was Jack and Audra Bentley. They lived in Palmetto, and Audra was sick, and she was in the hospital. She was at the hospital in Warm Springs, Georgia. And so I told Merrill that I was going to drive down to Warm Springs to see Audra. And he says, well, would you mind if I go with you? And I said, sure, that'd be great. I'd love to have you come along. So 
he got in the passenger side of my car and we headed down the interstate uh, 85 down toward uh, the Moreland exit and we get off at the Moreland exit to drive over to Warm Springs and, and uh, I, I, was, I turned on my blinker, was about to get off at the Moreland exit and, and Merrill said, don't get off here, don't get off here. I know, I know a shortcut, I know a better way. I said, okay, fine. I mean, Merrill's, Merrill has been here, uh, I mean, since Noah built the ark. So, I mean, he should know all of the different shortcuts to get to anywhere. And so he says, just keep on going down 85. There's, there's a shortcut here. And I said, okay. So we kept going down 85. And if you've ever been, if you knew Merrill, and if you were ever riding in a car with him, he, he never stopped talking. He was, a, he was a natural born entertainer and he never stopped talking. And we kept on going. I said, Merrill, are we any closer to the shortcut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where it is. And we kept on going down 85 and kept on going down 85 and kept on going down 85. Now we're on our way to Warm Springs, Georgia, which should have been a 45 minute drive. And I knew we were in trouble when we crossed over the Alabama-Georgia line and I saw an exit that says Lynette, Alabama. And I saw that and Merrill saw that I saw the sign, exit to Lynette, Alabama, and I looked at him and he says, well, I think we missed a shortcut. I said, you think, Merrill? So we got off the interstate, headed back up north. What should have been a 45-minute drive took us two hours plus. We finally get to Warm Springs. We go in and we see Miss Audra. We spend some time with her. Merrill doesn't breathe a word of the fact that he'd gotten us lost, or at least took us on a shortcut that was no shortcut at all. We get in the car and we head back. I said, now, Merrill... After the fiasco that you got us in coming down here, I'm going to go my way, the way I know, on the way back. And we headed down the road. And, and, and we got down a certain Georgia highway and we kept going and kept going. And I'm, and I'm, I'm looking for a, a uh, there, there was a, an old two-story white house. Where, and there was an airport right beside it. Those of you who've been from Palmetto over to Warm Springs, you know exactly where I'm talking about. It's on the left as you go there. It's on the right as you come back. And Merrill looked at me. He says, what are you looking for? I said, well, I said, I know the, this, this road that I'm on has a, a house with an airport on it. And I said, that's what I'm looking for. He says, well, I can tell you right now, you're on the wrong road for that. That's on a totally different road. And lo and behold, I got us lost on the way back to Palmetto. And so what should have been tops, a 45 there, 45 back, 20 minutes with, with Audra, should have been no more than a, a two-hour trip, round trip, turned out to be three and a half hours long because he got us lost on the way there. I got us lost on the way back. Now, the odd thing about that is that when Merrill would tell this story in church, wherever we'd been, he told it multiple times. He never mentioned the fact that he got us lost on the way down there. The only part of the story that he would tell is that I had gotten us lost on the way back. Fortunately, there were times when he told it that I happened to be within earshot and I could go and say, yeah, but you didn't say anything about the losing us on the trip there. There's no telling how many times he told this story without me there. And people just think, well, you got lost. 
Merle had horses. One of the things I loved to do with Merle was ride horses. Uh, Karen Braun and some other of, of Merle's friends, they would get together on a certain morning and, and they would meet at a certain place with their horses and we'd drive over to some trail they knew about and we'd unload the horses and they would saddle them up. And, and uh, I mentioned one day that I just, I loved horses, loved riding horses. Now I hadn't ridden horses in forever. And it'd been, it'd been so long that I wasn't even sure that I could even remember how to ride a horse. And so uh, we got to where we were going. He, he, he and, and Karen and some others invited me to go with him. We got to where we were going and he pulled off one of his horses. And this horse was named Art. Very gentle horse. Now, he didn't tell me that he was gentle. In fact, Merrill told me, he said, he said, I thought I might as well get you started off right. This is the most rambunctious of all the horses I've got. But don't worry about it. He said, I'm sure you'll be fine. Karen told me, she said, it's not rambunctious. Art is the most gentle horse he has. And so there were, there were several times uh, over the course of one particular year when he was healthy that we'd go riding horses. And I remember on one occasion, the horse that I was on, Art, uh, and there was about probably eight or nine of us riding on this particular day. We didn't always have that many people who rode with us, but on this day we had several. And the guy who was leading our group, he, he ran uh, f- uh, well ahead of the rest of us. And my horse, Art, followed after the guy in the lead. Merle was back a little bit, but not so far back that he couldn't hear our horses galloping in the distance. And then he heard a commotion up well in front of him. And Merrill assumed that the commotion he heard was somebody falling off of a horse, which it was somebody falling off of a horse. And he assumed that it had to be me because I was the only one who was pretty much an amateur about riding horses. And so Merrill took his horse and shot up to the front of the line, not to check on me now, He was laughing as he made his way up because he thought for sure the commotion he heard was me falling off the horse and he gets up there. It wasn't me. It was the guy who was our, our trainer, our leader who had, who had, his horse had bucked him off and he had fallen off the horse and rolled down a hill. Merrill was disappointed that it wasn't me riding off on that horse. Merrill Jenkins was loved by everybody. He joked with everybody. He was probably one of the most friendly face, faces, if not the friendliest face that we would meet, people would meet as they came in our door. And there is such a hole in our church knowing that He'll no longer be with us in body. Now, he's a great Christian man. He knew the Lord. He lived his faith. He, w- he would not always be quoting scripture, but he knew scripture. And rather than quoting it, he just lived it because there wasn't anything that he wouldn't do for anybody. He was always helping people. I told his daughter on the phone yesterday, I I said, I feel like it's the end of an era. Merrill was just one of those folks that you just thought would always be around. 
he was one of the leaders in helping us to relocate, as I've already mentioned. When our church trustees located this property that we're on now with our new building, it was made up of uh, two or three different parcels, a total of 20 acres, and it looked terrible. It was full of junk. There was uh, an old two-story house, which at one time was a very nice looking house, but that house sat on the road and it was, it was, it was in bad shape. I mean, the structure itself, because it was built out of like oak, it was good, but the house looked really run down. And, but after, after the church purchased all those 20 acres, uh, Bill Creel, who was the chair of our building committee and Merrill, who was one of our trustees, they both decided that, Hey, uh, let, let's go and, and check out the property and let's check out that house. Now, there were some people living in the house at that time. They didn't own it, but they were living in the house. Merrill and Bill knew one or two of them. But uh, not only were there people in the house, I don't remember if they were leasing it or what, but uh, when we bought it, but, but there were several other people in the house. And I remember that we got in Bill's truck We drove down to our new property and we pulled in. The folks who were there didn't realize we were coming. We got out and we walked toward the front porch and all of a sudden, I don't know how many people started scampering in every direction. We went in the house and there were other people in the house and they were scampering in every direction. And it was, it was one of those old houses that was built in such a way you walk in the front door and then you can go to the right and there's a room. And then from that room, you go to another room and then it backs into another room in the back and up to the front. And then you have steps that go upstairs and the same kind of arrangement, one room going into another. And as we came in and people started scampering throughout the house, we turned to the right. There was a living room area. Every one of the rooms had a little uh, fireplace. From that first living room area, we went back to the kitchen and I smell something. I said to Bill and Merrill, I said, somebody's, somebody's smoking pot in this house. I can smell it. Merrill didn't say a word. Didn't say a word. We walked through the back of the kitchen. Of course, everybody had scampered out by that time. We went through all the house looking at it and, and, and just examined it a little bit. We looked at the property. Merrill still hadn't said a word, which is very unusual for Merrill. We get back in Bill's truck and he turns around and pulls out the driveway and we start down 29 back toward our old building and Merrill finally opens up and he says, Bill, He says, you know, I don't know what bothers me more that there were people smoking marijuana on the house that the church owns now or that our pastor knew the smell of marijuana when he smelled it. Merrill Jenkins, what a life. For us, what a loss. But Merle would say, what a Lord. You know what I want to be? I want to be the type of person like Merle. Who changes his world for the better. 
That's what he did. That's what he did for our church. That's what he did for the Palmetto area. That's what he did for this preacher. I love Merrill Jenkins. I wouldn't ride with him to Warm Springs again, but I loved him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the people you bring into our lives. We never know from one day to the next, one week to the next, one year to the next, who you're going to bring into our lives for a long time, people who will change us for the better, people who make us better, people who can be serious with us, or who can laugh with us. Lord, I want to be like Merrill. I want to be a person who who when, when they're around us, they leave with a smile no matter how solemn they may have come. Because that's the way it was with Merle. And I pray for his family. I pray for our church. I pray for leaders among our young to rise up. Start working on their feet because they got big shoes to fill. But Lord, I thank you for faith in you, Lord, that shines so bright in Merrill Jenkins and gives us peace as we talk about him today. In Jesus' name, amen.